Are we on? There we are. Welcome. Wow. I have been here for, I think, 17 years now at Columbus State, and I've never seen this many people for an artist talk. So thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. My name is Mike McFalls. Good morning, Sleepy Town. I'm Bo Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio, coming to you from 88.5 FM, WCUG, in Columbus, Georgia. We're also heard on Alm Radio, 96.3 in Charleston, South Carolina. Thanks for joining us this morning on the radio. We have a really a fun show this morning because this show is the Artist Talk, which took place at the Bo Bartlett Center this past February 15th with we have Amy, Amy Sherald. Sherald here. Amy Sherald will be moderating this discussion. Kate, Kate Capshaw, Capshaw, myself, and Joshua, Joshua Michaela Ross. The talk is an artist talk from the Bo Bartlett Center, which was at the Riverside Theater this past February 15th. So the artist talk was on the occasion of Earthly Matters, my exhibition, which had come from the Gibbs Museum, and also Kate Capshaw's exhibition, Unaccompanied, which is an exhibition of her portraits of unaccompanied youth. Hope you'll enjoy the talk. I hope everyone is doing as well as I'm feeling right now. I'm just happy to be home. It's good to see all these friendly faces. And I live in New York now, so it's good to hear my accent. I haven't heard a Southern bell in a long time. So thank you, everybody, for, for coming. And I'm looking forward to catching up to whoever I know in the audience afterwards. We're going to talk for a short time. I know there's a lot of students here. And I want to really give you guys the opportunity to ask the questions that you want to ask. How do you feel about that? Perfect. So, I mean, this is really a conversation between friends. Though you have been an inspiration for me since I was in the sixth grade, I told the story of going to the Columbus Museum and seeing the painting called Object Permanence, which is hanging in the gallery. And I've been dying to ask you this question. Because when I saw that painting, I did not know, and I just found this out five years ago, that the black male figure in that painting is a self-portrait of, your, of yourself as a black person. So I want you to take me on the journey you made to make that decision. Um, thanks, Amy. So glad you're here. Thank you. Welcome home. <laughs> I was working on the painting. It's, the, the painting is it's a classic house to person test. So, you know, for a psychological test for children, they ask them to draw their house and draw their family. and draw a tree, I'm not sure exactly how to draw a tree, but and depending on how large or small things are in the composition, that determines, determines like the psychological relationship of the kids or their parents and their world. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in that case, I'd started the painting, it was my family, mm-hmm. and um, I was the central figure, and um, I'd done a lot of studies in my childhood home over here in Midtown, and I was working on it, and I got the painting going, and I was three quarters of the way through, and Something about it just wasn't working. And I think it was uh, something about the relationship of my sort of self-portrait there in the middle of it. And a lot of it's just technical stuff. It was a tonal thing. It was just like, you know, the light hitting that figure right at that point was just uh, not helping the whole composition. So I had a friend over, um, Mark House, and, he, and I said, you know, I'm going to let you be this. I'm going like, to let you be my surrogate, my self-portrait. <laughs> and so... Um, I started drawing him and painting him, and I wound up like shifting my self-portrait just enough so that it, it, was, it looked a little bit like him, and so it became a self-portrait as a, as a black guy. That's interesting. So you you have a lot of back, a lot of black figures in your work. What brought you to that decision? Like I know your inspirations are Edward Hopper, Andy Wyeth. I know Andy Wyeth um, worked with a lot of black models. And for me, I'm, I'm asking from the perspective of like how important it was for me to see myself represented mm-hmm. in your work, and especially in figurative painting at that time, because that was the first time I'd ever seen a black person in a contemporary painting. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your thoughts behind that? Um, it's always, you know, you've probably heard me quote Robertson Davies, is that you read through your crown? To me, it's one of the sort of signposts. It's one of the things that I, I try to live by. And what it means is basically like let everything where you're from, your DNA, your family, your experiences, you know, go through you like the roots and feed you like if you're, as if you're a tree, and, and then let the thing that you show to the world, your flowering, your yeah. um, manifestation, 
be the thing that you show to the world so that your roots feed your crown. Uh, and so I grew up in Georgia, you know, and I grew up in the 60s, and it, it was a you know, very diverse place, a very diverse uh, town with lots of stuff going on. Um, and so when I came to the choices that I made about who to be in my paintings, uh, it was just a logical outgrowth that, you know, it wouldn't just be always, you know, people in my nuclear family. It would be people that were also, uh, you know, in the place from which I came. So I always felt like I needed a kind of balance of that. And, um, you know, and I've got some old genes, too. But, you know, being from the South, we all have some old genes from way back, you know. Yeah. I've got some old genes that, you know, allow me to get a tan very quickly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> hey, Kate, how are you? Hey, how I'm are you good. doing down there? Um, so I know a lot of people here are probably really curious about your journey from acting um, to painting. And, you know, I know you, I know your family, and you have some creative genes happening there, like <laughs> doing amazing things. So could you just talk a little bit about, you know, the first time you picked up a brush and what that felt like? Mm. I would say that the move from acting to painting, making things, um, was watching my children come in with work from class. And they were in little art classes, community art classes, when they were like six years old, and, and they're seven, and they're eight, and they were bringing in I, I, I mean, your mom, she was like, amazing. Um, but there were some moments that I felt like, wow, this is, she's going to, he's going to. And my husband said, well, it's not coming from me because I draw stick figures. Maybe it's you. And it wasn't until about 13 years ago I took a class. And it was actually, there wasn't any brushes, there weren't any brushes in the class. It was a figure class on a Friday afternoon with a lot of teenagers and high school kids. And my daughter was in the class and was a, a naked person. And I had checked with her, would that be okay if I could draw a naked person with her? She said that would be fine. <laughs> and the teacher said, um, okay, so just, hi, hi Kate, just, okay, go over there and, and get, get charcoal or um, graphite and some paper and there are easels all over, and I went over to two big boxes, and I looked in both of them, and they were both black. And I went, well, I don't know the difference between graphite and charcoal. So that was the beginning. And the minute I started, it was like, the, I was never really an actress, is how I felt. Mm -hmm. And now, um, being a painter is much more akin. Yes. And here we are. Here we are. And here we are. Um, so, yeah, it's funny because I've never done an interview before. I'm always being interviewed, so I'm like trying not to ask the questions that I hate, but then I realize like these are the questions that you have to ask. <laughs> so, so tell me about picking your models. Um, you know, I walked through the, um, through the exhibitions today and Kate, walking into your exhibition, it's just vividly moving, and then you walk into this dark room, and there's this space, and then you hear these voices, and there's, there's audio coming from the ceiling, and it's just so moving to be able to connect to the figures that I've seen this way, and hear their voices, and hear their stories. Um, Joshua. I want to call you Ross. <laughs> Joshua, um, when you and Kate were planning this part of the exhibition, could you just walk us through the steps of like how, this, how that part of it came together? Yeah. Um, we started with a principle of just imagine everything, then filter. But the first moment that I saw Kate's paintings, and I should say that Kate always had the vision of sound with this exhibit. So it was really your vision for this. But there were some things that really struck me right away, which was the foregrounding of a human being and an absence of circumstance in the, in the, in the frame, like a real abiding respect for the people that were being foregrounded. And so that principle I really wanted to carry through when we started to think about what would we be hearing in, in, in the back, um, which led to a set of interview questions that I would be 
wanting to ask anybody, so not trauma-centered, but just life experience-centered. Mm -hmm. So what if you had a superpower, what would that be? If you would could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? So just arriving there, but also in the same way that the portraits in the front occupy a space, they really demand your attention. Each speaker um, is dedicated to a specific individual telling a story. So it kind of is a mirror there, trying to kind mm -hmm. of reflect um, both what you, what actually, as you said, like in one space you're gazing and looking, in another you're listening. Mm -hmm. But trying to kind of make a complementary, um, mm -hmm. complementary pairing with, I think, some of the underlying principles that we felt were in the painting. Yeah, that was really important. Um, so it's interesting leaving unaccompanied and coming into Earthly Matters. It's a very different feel, and though I've always been fascinated with the, narr the underlying narratives in your work, and it's very mysterious, you could write your own stories, um, but I've always been curious about your break from the figure and your jump into to animals or mammals or what you're thinking about when you're... Well, they've always been a part of, of what I've wanted to do. I mm -hmm. think that I've always had, uh, going back to the painting calling, which is a big, of a big cow, which is, mm -hmm. is usually in the center. Um, so I think that the animals um, are, have always been a big part of it. But I think that um, at some point I started to um, really start, and I'm still dealing with this, I'm still grappling with this, it's like, uh, what can we paint? Uh -huh. you know, like, what can we paint that someone's not going to take offense to? Yeah. You know? And so it's sort of like, I was like, I don't know, like, what can I paint? Can I, can I paint this person? Can I paint that person? And, and you know, obviously you have to paint from your own experience, and you paint from your own life. Yeah. But, um, I think that, you know, going with animals was just like, I'm just going to take a little break from all of that political correctness or whatever it is about what I can and can't paint. And I'm just going to paint some, you know, nature. I love Rosa Bon, uh, Rosa Bonner. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Landseer, you know, mm -hmm. those, those painters, painters that painted animals. I love that. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to do this for a little while and, and, uh, enjoy the act of painting and not have to have any of that baggage or people's voices in my ears about what I should or shouldn't be doing right now. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it, it'll pass. Everything passes, but it's a phase, but I'm happy, yeah. to, happy to be doing this now. What is the, in some of the older pieces, there's a, there seems to be um, figures that are, what I've been seeing lately is the word unalive. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, not... The paintings are all very different that they're in, but um, I'm dying to know what, what that's about. You're dying to know. I'm dying to know. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> well, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a great book by um, Dorothy L. Sayers called The Mind of the Mentor. And in that book, she talks about, she was a CSD as long as that. Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about the difference between aesthetic goodness and moral goodness. And now you have to really have a distinction when you're making art to know the difference. You know, we can't go off and kill somebody or hurt somebody. But if you're going to have a drama and a story, you know, it's, it's good to have somebody kill somebody. You know, or to have something get somebody get hurt. You know, that's yeah. what, it's the inciting incident that gets the whole story going. So in, in art, the drama of it, you know, you, you're often dealing with this kind of, uh, um, death is one of the, but you know, it's not just for dramatic effect either. I mean, you have to have an actual association with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in, in my paintings, the more recent ones have all been related to, uh, you know, the passing of my son Elliot, my mm -hmm. son. So, you know, they're, um, it's a processing. For me, it's processing. Yeah. Um, a lot of the work is about sublimation and getting the feelings out. Getting it out. Yeah, getting it out. Yeah. And, and the camera so you can live again. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah. I think that's. So, you have a very personal connection to your work? When it's like almost autobiographical. Oh, completely. Everything means something. I mean, every little detail means something. Nothing is just by chance or happenstance. Yeah. I mean, every single thing is down to the blade of grass. It's got some meaning. Got something, right? So, Kate, how did you, how did you, um, when approaching, you know, homeless youth, like build that connection with your models? Um, the first opportunity that I had to sit with um, two. One was going to come in, I think a young lady was coming in the morning and then a young man was coming in the afternoon. And I had a little corner of a space that I could work in at a kind of abandoned hospital. Um, I wanted to be a host. I, the first day no one showed up. 
So I had two, but I really had none. And so Monday so wait, so was. So you're on location. I'm all I'm all set up. Got the set music. I'm ready. Okay. I got donuts. I got fruit. <laughs> I have soda pop. I have orange juice. And the second day, I was actually thrilled that they didn't come because I was so nervous and I really had no idea what I was doing. I had only painted models that were paid to sit, and I'd only painted people in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So now I am really out on like double black diamond. And so the first day I'd got myself settled, like, okay, I'm here, this is, I'm not, this could be okay. Second day, one came in, um, a young man, it was donuts, and what else do you want to drink and sit, and uh, it might be hard for you to sit still, and uh, so just whenever you want to stand up, stand up, as there's no contest, and we'll just add five minutes each time, and so we just did it very gently. Uh, we didn't start until I asked them what music they wanted to listen to, mm -hmm. and uh, they looked at me like, <laughs> <laughs> you got my music, you don't have my music. And I said, go on. And I had my little walk, whatever I had, the, I, the thing that, now we use our phone, but it was the thing we had before that. Something that before. Anyway, um, I had their music and... Uh, a nano. Like a yes. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, and twirled. Anyway, mm -hmm. I had their music and we, I would play that. And um, that relaxed them. Yeah. It relaxed me because I love music. And I was the one that was nervous. So it was really like getting to know someone in the safest way. I didn't ask questions. Mm -hmm. They knew me. I introduced myself. I'm Kate. I'm a painter. Thank you for coming. Um, hopefully this won't hurt. Right. And so how long would you have them pose for you? I had them for a session of three to three and a half hours. And those are the studies. So in the exhibit, after you finish the first area and you go in to what feels darker, all the paintings on the walls are the studies. And that's what I would get very fast, uh, really fast. Yeah. It was like yeah. So why not take a picture? Because I did. I work from photographs. Yes. Because I hate having people in my studio. Like I do not want to feel like I have to entertain. I want to introvert the way I want to introvert. Yeah. While I'm painting. Yeah. And so like I feel like the pressure of having somebody there and then like having to get that work done within mm -hmm. that specific amount of time and then also mm -hmm. thinking about their level of comfort will like be so disruptive to like mm -hmm. the outcome of the product. So. I wanted them to have a really good experience. So I knew where they were coming from, which would be someplace unprotected, sometimes not safe. Um, but their story up till that moment where they were sitting with me was very unstable. And so I wanted them very comfortable. And I wanted them to know that I was there in, in, in they were gonna have three and a half nice hours of being tended to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was part of what was feeding me, and I wanted them to be relaxed, because I was not relaxed, I was <laughs> nervous. And I did take a photograph while they were sitting there in that pose, because I knew that what I was doing in those three hours was a beginning. Mm -hmm. It was not an ending, it was the beginning of the painting. Uh, so I wanted to have something to refer to, which was really actually awful because the light was never the same. It was a bad idea to do that, but I had something at least. Yeah. How did they feel about having their portrait painted? Well, none of them knew how they would feel because they'd never been painted, painted before. before. Right. And I did ask them all if they had. Um, I think that they felt Seen. Mm -hmm. I think they felt the care. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily that they trusted me because that would come over many, many, many times with them. Um, one young lady, I told her she, it was her last session of the three hours, so we had 10 more minutes. 
This will be the last, and we'll be out of here. You'll forget me, but I will be painting your lashes, your freckles, the moisture on your lips. You will be with me for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And she went to sit down, and I got everything together, and I started painting, and she's like, tear rolling. I went, okay, I'm putting everything down. Are you okay? And she said, I just had such a good time this morning. Yeah. And I, that was when I felt very relieved and also just how powerful it was for someone to be with someone whose attention was just on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bo, how you doing? Mm-hmm. So, I have one of your former models staying with me right now for a couple of weeks. His name is Tony Pettit. Oh, yeah, Tony. And he's mm-hmm. such a sweetheart. And um, I met another another guy in that in that painting too this evening. Um, and I'm wondering about your process with with your models. Do you work a live figure? Do you vacillate? Do you take photographs? Um, yeah, primarily I just paint friends and family. I mean, that's almost all mm-hmm. I do. I, I really have to know someone. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have someone. No painting strangers. A stranger. Yeah. No, really. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't. Um, but, and it has to be like somebody that I know intimately. Um, it's very rare that I paint somebody that I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that must make life really hard. No, it makes life really easy. <laughs> it makes life really easy. You don't run out of people. <laughs> well, I love being alone. Yeah. Yeah. I love being alone too. Me too. <laughs> this is just yeah. basically four introverts on a stage. <laughs> um, Does anybody feel the awkwardness yet? <laughs> so, but, you know, when it comes to. Um, the process, I um, I draw them a lot, so I want to, to draw them uh, from life because I want to remember that. Like that's the most important process for me. Um, sometimes I'll paint them from life first, mm-hmm. um, and I'll get all my references for a painting. I'll get you know they said this morning on person. I'll do all the studies of them, and I'll do finished drawings, rough drawings, color studies, and then I'll take some photos and have those photos because I don't want anybody in the studio once I'm working on the actual painting. Right. Because it's a real distraction. Right. And the perspective isn't the same, the light's not the same, all the variables are different, so you have to be able to imagine yourself, imagine the painting in your own mind. Right. And it doesn't have to have people there. Right. So yeah, it's a process of gathering the information and then taking it. And a lot of that I sort of learned from Rockwell, the way Rockwell would do all of the studies first. Mm-hmm. So I guess for, for um, the beginning of COVID, which some of these paintings were done mm. in 2020, um, how did that affect your practice? Because I know for myself, and I have a friend, her name is Jordan Castell, she's also a painter, we were talking about how we're going to find our models now because we're both like two immune suppressed people walking around <laughs> and we're like, Instagram is going to be our friend, yeah. you know, and we have to figure out how to make this work. So how did, how did that work for you? Well, and, um, I was midstream with some paintings from COVID hit. I, I, I was up at Serenby on an uh, artist residency and uh, I was working on a painting called The Thin Veil, which is in the show mm-hmm. with uh, the temporal hats. And um, I was working on that when COVID hit and they actually said, uh, you know, the residency people said, you can stay. I was like, great. And they, you know, this sounds safe. I can just stay on my artist residency. Nobody else is here. And um, they said, actually, we can't get any more artists after you, so you stay as long as you want. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I called Betsy. I said, Betsy, they don't stay <laughs> as long as I want. And she said, no, you're coming home. We don't know how bad this is going to get. So I, I came back home. But anyway, so then I started other paintings, and, and, uh, and I had people, friends, mostly, posing. Uh, there's one painting called The Crowd Scene mm-hmm. with all the people. Um, some of those people, in more than one painting, people post with masks on as they pose. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, you know, just take it off real quick and let me, you know, get this part or I take a photo at that point. But, you know, I was, posing, I was painting with a mask on and they were posing with masks on. Yeah. Um, during that whole time. So, yeah. You see anybody's faces, it looks a little weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because I was asking myself, you know, I saw a lot of, of other artists posting work with um, the figures that were masked, and 
somebody asked me if I was going to, you know, paint about that experience. And I was like, I don't think so. Because right. I really enjoy painting the face. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I did the five guys in, in Hertzberg were all wearing masks, but they're all facing away at, right. the, at the ocean. Right. So they, were all, they wore masks the whole time. Oh, is so, that right? Yeah, and I did a lot of, and you notice the ears are poking out a little bit? Oh! Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to notice now. <laughs> so they just don't have Will Smith ears. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So I also see a common uh, theme of like uh, the American flag. I've seen it from your earlier works running all the way through to present. And I oftentimes tell the story about my, you know, introduction to myself as in um, sitting in my own Americanness. And I was living in Norway for a summer studying with Odd Nerdrum. And things were happening in the world and America wasn't popular at the time. And um, there were two guys were at a park, and there were two guys throwing a baseball. And this guy walked up, and he was like, oh, you're American. And he pointed at me and the guy, and I was like, yeah, I am. You know, but it was the first, it was the first time that I had ever been approached as that. It was the first time that I had ever been approached, approached as, like, my, my countryhood first, for lack of a better way to say it, versus my, my race or my gender. And so I was like, this is kind of amazing. Like he just saw an American. He didn't see a black American. He just saw an American. So when I see the flag and I see this image of the bicycle, the gentleman on the bicycle riding and the flag waving, I have a, um, after that moment, and I guess in the years, you know, after that, I've come to have a greater sense of ownership of that story and, um, my ancestral history to this country. Um, so I just want to hear about your feelings of, of I guess, your Americanist, the use of the flag in your work. And Well, um, it's, a, it's a complex relationship. Mm-hmm. A complex relationship with America and with the flag and, you know, with patriotism. A very complex relationship. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, as artists, we can't buy into uh, any kind of like propaganda, you know, that, is, that weakens the work if, if you sort of like have a point of view like that, you know, where it's like, uh, like we're all tribal and we all like, you know, pull for our team, you know, whether that's you know, the Eagles or, you know, Kansas City, Kansas City, but, um, you know, whatever it is, Georgia, Alabama, whatever, but, you know, so we're, we're all sort of, we have that tribal aspect to ourselves. But, but the paintings operate on many different levels. They operate on a very personal level. They operate, you know, from my personal experience. Uh, they operate on a, a geopolitical level, um, social level, spiritual level, you know, scientific level. They're operating on these different levels at the same time. So it makes sense that you have that as, you know, not nationalism, but a kind of uh, awareness of the place and time in which the painting was created. And, um, you know, you just hope that those paintings that show something like the flag, because it's very important for an artist to, to uh, know the possible meanings of how it's going to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Anything that you paint, you know, uh, it can be interpreted differently at a different time. Um, you know, like if I painted a red baseball cap, you know, back in the 90s, it was mm-hmm. like, well, there's a baseball cap. Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals or <laughs> or something, you know. But now you paint a red baseball cap, you're going to be like, oh, you know, that means something completely different. And so you want to have an understanding of what the interpretations of something can be when you paint it. But it can only be when you paint it. Mm-hmm. Because time's going to change and uh, context is going to change and meaning mm-hmm. is going to And that's one of the hard parts about being a representational painter. Right. You know, all those pitfalls that you don't even know exist yet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Well, it was great to see it, you know, represented in that way, because I, I always say, like, for, you know, growing up in the South, being born in 1973, post the civil rights movement, the flag meant something very different. It almost like if I saw somebody waving a flag, I didn't feel safe, mm-hmm. even though it was an American flag. And so it was, um, it was great to see it there, and I also went home after that trip to Norway and made my own flag painting um, that... Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, though. It's like I know it's called All American, but I had a, another really long title. But yeah. So I'm not sure where we are on time, but I do want to make sure that we have time for questions. You're listening to the Art House on 88.5 WCUG, 
and OM Radio 96.3 in Charleston, South Carolina. We're listening to an artist talk, which took place February 15th, 2023, at the Bo Bartlett Center. We're going to take a little break, hear a piece of music, and we'll get back to the second half. Thanks for being with us today on The Art House. Welcome back to Art House Radio. We're going to pick back up with our artist talk from February 15th from Earthly Matters and Unaccompanied at the Bow Bartlett Center. Hello, hello. Yes? Okay. Hi, Kay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was um, 
remembering what that we had a conversation some years ago about your project. <laughs> and um, I, um, I, I, I haven't had the chance to see your work yet, but uh, it looks the work looks so beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm so interested in knowing um, why it's so important for you the experience from working from life. Why it's so important for you? Because you could have had, you could have taken photographs. You could have like um, just brought these images to your studio and then work with them. But then you you just went to this place to to be with these kids, to work with, directly with them. And I'm so interested to know why that experience is so important and why if the experience from working from life is so important, how come you chose the title and a company for your show? So I, I hear two questions, but the, the wanting to paint them in person has a lot to do with my belief that the unhoused youth and I might feel the same about unhoused adults, but for sure youth. Um, they were they were young people. They were like my kids. They, my my guess is that they were not going to feel different being with them than being with my donut loving children. And so I wanted to have that experience. I wanted to be very proximate to them as short a, a time as it was. But I felt that in three and a half hours, I could see the time go by and the air in the room got warmer and cozier and they were smiling more and um, I would ask if I need help in a year with your skin tone on your cheek with the light, would you help me out? And they all said yes. So I wanted to have the experience of what I imagined I would have and not what I might have been afraid of having if I saw them parked on a sidewalk um, with their dog or something. So um, that's why I did it in person. Unaccompanied came about a year in to painting and I realized I didn't really have the definition of homeless youth. Like what's the federal government say about homeless youth? How do you identify homeless youth? So I'm not good on the computer, but I thought I, I could probably Google that. And so I did, did just that. What's the defini federal definition of homeless youth? And it was a very simple sent sentence, and it used the word unaccompanied. An unaccompanied person under the age of 26, there are divisions of it if you're under 14, but I went, wait, first, 26, wow. So they're catching up with psychology. We know the brain's not cooked until you're 26 anyway. And that unaccompanied, really, it, I felt it down to my toes. It, I, I, I couldn't imagine anyone being unaccompanied that I loved to a job interview, to kindergarten, to into death. Like, I never wanted that. And yet, these youth are defined by being unaccompanied by any grown-up. How long into the process were you before you came up with the title? Was it more than that? No, it was like a year in, maybe two, and then it was appearing almost daily on the cover of the New York Times because we were talking about immigrants mm -hmm. and the families coming in, unaccompanied, unaccompanied, unaccompanied. And now they are accompanying me. Thank you. Um, this is for uh, the complete panel. Um, with the level of success that you have now, which is skyrocket success, how do you um, carve out time just for the art and not the distractions that come along with success? Um, I don't do anything but work. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I think like, I, I think I have the opposite problem where I have to find time to carve out so that I can make more work. I mean, so like there's a lot of output and there needs to be time for input. And I know that the advice that I was given also was like, you know, 
you you have to put your energy towards these these things that you want to make happen. And for me, it's like there's things that I try to make sure that I have time for, showing up for, things like this, or anything that has to do with students or, you know, children or, or anything like that. But I think the most, the thing that I have most difficulty with is finding time to carve out for myself mm-hmm. when, when I'm not making work because it can just kind of take over your life in, in good ways and bad ways. But I think it's just as important to, um, to be out living in the world as a civilian um, for a few months out of the year. That's what I call you non-artist people. Um, because it's, you know, when students talk to me and they say, you know, I, I kind of have like a block where I don't, I don't know what to paint about. And I'm just like, it's because you haven't lived enough. Like you need to go out there and like live and like see some things and like think some things and read some things and watch some movies and like, You'll have a bag of ideas and words and feelings and emotions to pull from to make the work. So, um, so yeah, it, I'm in the reverse of that, actually. For me, I mean, I try to lay low. I try to lay really low uh, so that uh, I structure my whole life around getting into the studio and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Nothing distracts from that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last words Andrew Wyeth ever said to me, and it was right before he had his fall and before he died, 2009, uh, in the autumn of 2009, he said, Bo, keep yourself free. And I, mm-hmm. and I just I hold that, and I just think, you know, like, it means don't let other circumstances or other powers, you know, take hold of you. You know, you, you have to control you know, our own time. That's all we've got. Yeah, so get, in, get into the studio and make the work and just, you know, try to tune it out, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the work will speak for itself in the end, and, and you're not distracted, and uh, you, you sort of, it's, who does the grail serve? You know, it doesn't serve any kind of, like, um, career or anything, you know, it's, it's for the larger good. So, um, you know, you, you have to make the work. It's, it's our own job. It's making the work. Full-time job. Yes, full-time yeah. job. Questions for Bo and for Pete. Okay. Well, first of all, um, and I've seen so many of your paintings um, up in the, in the Bartlett Center, and I send my students to write about them. The one thing that strikes me about your paintings as a constant is that there is both a sense of stillness, even figures that, like the gentleman with the, on the bike, you know, that's, he seems to be in motion, but in fact he's very still. Um, and also, um, and I don't know any other way to say it, a kind of loneliness about your figures. Um, could you talk for a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're all alone. I mean, we're always all alone, you know. We're born alone, we die alone, we're, we're alone. I think that, you know, the great painters, uh, Hopper and Wyatt, you know, I mean, they spoke to that existential crisis of how alone we are. It's like, you know, waiting for Godot. We're all just, you know, we're alone in the end. And I think that there's a melancholy to that which uh, speaks to our hearts. And so, you know, when you do a painting, you're viewing the painting alone. You're a single person doing it alone. And there's this uh, connection that you have with that feeling of being alone in the world. And uh, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, mean, I think we're all, you know, it's, it's sort of shared. A, it's a shared sense of um, loneliness isn't the right word. It's mm-hmm. a kind of uh, longing for connection, maybe. So that I think the paintings are... Uh, uh, searching for that balance of uh, melancholy through uh, the existential crisis of what it really means to be in this world and how we find a larger connection. And uh, by representing that, I think Wyatt did that beautifully, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, by doing that, you know, it, it, it can draw the viewer in to find connection and ask questions about who they are. Literally, you know, you look at it and the question, I think, becomes uh, not what's going on or, you know, what's that narrative, but it's like, hopefully it's like, who am I when you look at the thing? Mm-hmm. And how can I be in this world? Um, and what matters, really, in the end? It's like, you know, I want you to look at the thing and the question would be like, what matters? 
I'm going to ask a real quick question for Josh, because Josh has in, been in the unfortunate situation where nobody has heard his work, except me. I've had a lot of time with that work. In fact, I think we spent a lot of time together on that work. Um, and then I'm going to give it to a couple of students. I know there are a lot of students with their hands up, and then we're going to have to end it, unfortunately. But, but Josh, can you, you talk to me a lot about how listening and slowing down and listening can, can really change the way you think. And, and it did for me, and I talked to Kate about this too. When I saw her paintings the first time, you walk in, they just kind of, they're stunning, they're halting, but then there's something kind of, there's a distance in the painting. And you had this way of making the, those paintings somehow humanize them in a weird way. Um, can you talk about how you made the decisions you made to, to do the sound? Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I, I, I think it's actually quite simple. The, we live in a very accelerated digital and very visual world where we're getting stimulated and barraged and the kind of primary metaphor for that is we're just scrolling. We're scrolling and scrolling waiting for something to catch our attention. Um, and listening is one of the few things you can't really speed up. It resets the frame rate to your body clock. So when you open your ears to listen, it naturally just recenters you and there's a certain stillness to that. Um, and there's also, in the same way that there's remarkable information in a portrait, there's really remarkable information in a body making noise to another body. There's, there's the catch between the, you know, the, 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 the phrasing, there's the pacing, there's something really remarkable. When we first listened to them, my initial idea was a terrible one. I wanted to do a kind of a, a sound collage that brought together themes of what I'd been hearing, and it was really intricate and lovely, but you kind of needed to listen to it about 20 times. <laughs> and I brought it into Kate, and she was like, I'd love to just hear that person's voice. <laughs> um, and that became really the guiding light of the, the show, was just to not even edit, just to let those voices mm -hmm. sit there and to hear those pauses. And there, there's, some, there's a beautiful... One of my favorite ones, mm -hmm. a person says to the question, what is something people don't know about you? She says, mm, I don't know. I don't know myself. Mm, maybe, well, I have a lot of thoughts, but I don't speak. I don't speak. And in that, you hear the first I don't speak is actually full of emotion. Ah. And the mm -hmm. second I speak is it just trails off as though it's almost, and I'm guessing, resignation. Anyway, there's such mm -hmm. richness in that. So there's the choices just to let them be in a single story was kind of the, the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the, the immediate, intuitive, first response is it's slow. Oh, I can't make out that word. I'll understand. And the beauty in the collection is that you are being asked to listen, and someone does have something to say. And that is such a beautiful thing to take the time to listen. Hi, this is um, directed towards our artists, but if um, our sound artist wants to answer in a way that's applicable. You're welcome to, because I'd love to hear it. Um, knowing that y'all are primarily like portraiture artists, do you ever doodle or sketch or create pieces without photographic or like in-person reference? I make and pieces. Yeah. What does that look like? <laughs> Yeah, you said you do. Oh yes, I I I, I, I sketch. I, I don't doodle, but I'm, I'm making faces all the time. And when I was doing this series, I would wake up in the morning and ask myself to draw the face that I was working on, just on a little piece of paper that was next to the bed. Draw the face. And when I was really struggling with a part of the face, again, I would ask myself to, to draw it from memory. Ooh. And often, by asking myself to do that, I unlocked my problem. It was very weird. So 
Yes, drawing faces all the time. I'll sit anywhere and draw people. Yeah. I, I have to draw faces. Yeah. I so if I if I heard you right, you're asking you, you said we to do with anything other than the figure, right? No, like drawing things without some reference or just from your imagination. Oh yeah. I I do that too and I think I do it when I'm doodling. I thought you asked a different question. I'm like, yeah girl, I wanna work without the figure all the time. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the question. Okay. <laughs> But I, I do, I do. It's something that I haven't done in a long time. Um, when I say that, like actually, like make a full, a full-on, you know, painting that way. But I think it is always fun. It's funny to me because they always end up looking like the same person. I don't know why it's like always a woman. She kind of yes. looks like me. Yes, yes. I don't, yes. <laughs> I don't know. But to answer the question you didn't ask me. <laughs> I like have dreams about being like an abstract expressionist. I feel like I just can't wait to get to be like 70 when I can say like F off to everybody <laughs> and like do what I want to do because like nobody's going to care. Um, so yeah, that too. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, I've I, I painted abstractly over the years always. So, you know, I paint abstractly, nobody sees them, and then I'll like, maybe put a painting on top of it, you know. Yeah. You, know, exactly. you do it in the colors that you're working with. I express myself. Yeah. I'll throw everything down there first, and then I'll like paint on top of it, you know, make a painting out of it. Yeah. Because you just have to express yourself that way. People you know? don't understand how hard it is. Like, I, I was thinking about getting ready for this next show that I have in two years in Paris, and I'm like, I want to make the painting that I have, like, I have this idea. And I know what the figure's gonna be doing and the colors and stuff. And then right next to it, same size, I wanna make a painting where there's no figure and I'm just like really working with the color and oh, like cool. trying to figure out what that yeah. look, because it could just look like a dirty palette at the end of the day. I don't know. But I just really am having deep desires. Deep, I would deep love desires that. about doing that. Yeah. I wanna see that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and I also doodle all the time in, in making up stuff, but mostly in sketchbooks, not in printed things. Um, yeah. Just always coming up with mm -hmm. stuff. The, the line around my oh, yes. heads came uh, in a moment of pure frustration and absolutely zero confidence, feeling like, what am I doing? What, what, what's this idea about? I do not know what I'm doing. That study that would be the beginning of the finished painting was just going sideways, and I was standing there, and I just took a brush right into that pad scarlet, and I just went. Aah! I put it down. I probably went to the bathroom, came back, and I went. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I like that. Yeah. So here, the moral of that story, like, nobody up here knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. Like, that's when you know you're actually doing something. <laughs> Just FYI. FYI. So this is a question I asked before at another panel, but for all my traditional artists up here, what would you recommend to new younger artists to, I guess, thrive and be successful as artists such as y'all, especially since we're moving to a more digital age in art where a lot more people are consuming digital media from animated shows all the way to even like digital literature. How would you, what advice would you give, I guess, painters to survive in this world, especially as more people are looking for more digital artists instead of traditional art? Yeah. I think, you know, just go with what you love. I mean, I think uh, that was the thing Andrew White always said. Like, he would say, um, he, he would go with what he was excited by. He would, you know, that's what the direction he would go. And for, for me, I think you have to trust your instincts enough once you've uh, gotten excited by something to, to see it through and to do it. And, um, you know, style doesn't matter. Um, what's cool at the moment doesn't matter because that's always going to change, you know. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to trust your own instincts. That's one of the most important things as mm -hmm. a young painter. And it takes a long time for you to learn that because mm -hmm. it's hard to learn to trust yourself. Yeah. But then once you do, you know, uh, find the things you like, choose the things you like. It's like one of those mood boards, you know. Like choose the things you like and uh, use those as signposts for where you're going to go. You know, like who's your favorite painter? Um, you know, could I do some version of that? And don't be afraid to 
uh, mimic something until you've you know, completely digested it and you're making your own version of it, and then you go on and do the next thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. still making paintings like Bob Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you've inspired me, and I'm making paintings like Bob yes. <laughs> You learn Just a lot. Just back and forth. Yeah. But I want to say, um, I'm going to piggyback what you said, Bo, but then also, those are two different worlds. So like the people that want the digital stuff are like the people that want the digital stuff. They're not the same people that want to buy my paintings. You know what I mean? So like you just have to find your people and, mm-hmm. and do, and like you said, do what you do, but you don't have to feel influenced by that. I mean, I think about myself coming out of college and my mom was like, artists, no, you're not going to do that. Sorry. Martin Luther King did not die for you to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll go into graphic design. But I didn't want to do that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So you just stay true to who you are and your intuition is the most important part of your practice. Like listening, being able to listen to that inner voice is the most important part of your practice and just trusting that and know it's not the loudest one, it's the softest one. It usually only says once. Mm-hmm. And if you don't hear it, shame on you. You know what I mean? It's like you just have to learn how to listen. But that's, I think it's just important to stick to what you, what you are passionate about. If you follow your passion and stay on that path, the red carpet will roll out for you. Mm-hmm eventually. Yeah. What do you want to say? Like, what do you want to say? Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. What do you want to say? Yeah. And, be and just rel- know it takes a lifetime to figure that out. And, and be relentless, you know, and persevere. Because, you know, yeah. it, it'll take forever for you to convince anybody else that what you're doing has not <laughs> Oh, yeah. Don't listen to any civilians. <laughs>